Take your Bibles from to Acts chapter 1 this morning, if you would. The book of Acts chapter 1. We'll continue our study that we begun a few weeks ago in the book of Acts. Of course, written by Luke. And of course, we have the gospel by his name as well. Let me ask you to stand. We're going to read from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. The title of the message this morning is Making Sense of Treachery. Making Sense of Treachery. Of course, the Lord has ascended after 40 days of presenting Himself to the disciples after His resurrection, uh, explaining to them further the gospel, making sense of that, and of course, He's now ascended. There's this 10-day of interim waiting between when the Holy Ghost would come at the day of Pentecost. And um, these men are now gathered along with a greater number of disciples, about 120 in an upper room, when the event we're about to read transpires. Verse number 15. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. He, he's saying this man was part of the brotherhood. He was he's talking about close affiliation and he betrayed us. Now this man purchased a field with reward of his iniquity. And falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in their proper tongue El Sodoma, that is to say, as Aramaic for the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and let his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that He was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of His resurrection. We need to pick an apostle to fill Judas' place. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, now that's confusing, three names for one guy, but they knew who he was. And Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of his ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Our Heavenly Father, I, I pray in the next few moments that, Lord, You would speak to us through Your Word. Lord, we have no desire to just go through the motions in this next 30 minutes. Lord, we're not here to be entertained. I'm not here to impress. Lord, we're looking into Your Word with the intent of understanding what happened, Lord, on this historic, historic occasion, and then, Lord, applying that for our learning today. And so, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would make application in our hearts and Lord, use your word to do it. And of course, through your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing in honor of God's word. 
Our text presents to us a united and assembled band of brothers, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, His apostles, and of course other disciples, numbering somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 followers. They are obeying the Lord's last command to wait for the imminent coming of the Holy Spirit so they could be empowered to be His witnesses throughout all the earth. They were gathered together in an upper room, united in prayer, seeking the Lord's direction. Now in this interim time of 10 days between His final ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit, this event transpires that we read about. Peter rises up, taking a position of leadership, a mantle that the Lord had given him, and begins to address the larger audience present. And he was addressing a situation that needed uh, correction. Um, he was filling a role that was abdicated through the treachery of Judas Iscariot. Now, this was something that may have been in question. And matter of fact, maybe the disciples themselves or other people in the crowd began to, to wonder, now the Lord assigned 12, and He actually even made promises that one day 12 apostles would sit on 12 thrones uh, you know, in the, the future millennial kingdom, and we, we only have 11, and now how can this be, and what's going on? Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, and Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in this regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now Jesus here is referring to His second coming, His second advent, and then of course the ensuing millennial kingdom. And He was assigning positions of leadership, special privilege to the twelve who followed Him. But of course the problem is, there are only 11. And so this is being addressed, and, and of course we're going to find in a moment that this had not been lost on God. He actually used a lost apostle to accomplish his purposes in his um, treachery to accomplish the, the, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus is, um, rather Peter's addressing this particular issue. Now this was known because in verse 19 we're told that the abdication of Judas was known all abroad. In all Jerusalem the text says that he was one who followed the Lord but somehow co-conspired against him. He turned him in. He hanged himself on a tree. And then this graphic and emotive description that he fell from that tree and burst asunder is given to us in detail. The point being there are 11 of 12 positions and one needs to be filled. So Peter sets out to rectify the situation by appointing someone to take Judas' place. And so we have two um, qualifications that are set forth for an apostle, uh, set forth by Peter, I'm sure also by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And the two descriptions are this. They had to be someone who had been with the Lord, or who had traveled with the Lord since the days of John's baptism. The point being, someone who had history with us, someone who had seen what we've seen and heard what we've heard and, and walked with us and joined in our fellowship. They, they were part of our group. We have to understand, the New Testament presents to us, of course, the 12 apostles, and there are other people in the New Testament who are there. But in this upper room alone, there are over 120 individuals. And in in, when Jesus ascended, there were over 500 assembled. So there are many names that we may not know about. But they find among the group there 
uh, two men who met that qualification. Someone had been there since the baptism of John. The second qualification was this, they had been eyewitnesses of, of His resurrection. Now by that they mean that this is someone the Lord had appeared to as an individual or a group in the 40 days after His resurrection and before His ascension. And so we have here a definition of apostleship. And, and so someone had to meet those two qualifications. And that's why we don't have apostles today because no one was there since the baptism of John and no one else saw that. And so when they, when they died in their ministry, so did these specific unique qualifications. And so these men uh, were there. Two men found, Matthias and a man named Joseph Barsabbas or Justice, whichever you want to choose. The point being, these two men were equally qualified. No difference between them. And from that point forward uh, to probably uh, you know, keeping any divisions, they used an old Jewish custom of casting lots and asked the Lord to be involved in that, which the text tells us that He was. So after a time of prayer, verse 24, the men were chosen, and let's just look there very quickly. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two men hath thou chosen. So the Lord's involved. That He may take part of this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that He might go to His own place, implying a place other than where they were going, to heaven. And they gave forth their lots, and the Lord and the lot fell upon uh, Matthias. And of course he was chosen, and then from the day then to his death he was numbered among the apostles. So of course the apostleship was singular and unique, uh, of course with these two qualifications in mind. And when they died so do, did the very unique and singular positions. Now the writer here, Luke, uses this administrative detail. That's downplaying it, but this necessary event to instruct us in something larger and perhaps even more significant. Luke uses this to tell another story. It's the story of Judas Iscariot and his fall from grace. Um, this story of Judas becomes for us a cautionary tale of something that we are not to do as the followers of Christ. And something we are not to do to one another. And I, by that I mean each other in this room. A band of brothers serving together under the banner of Christ. Luke was using this event as an opportunity to cast the whole thing in meaning. Um, why did this happen? Why would the Lord allow one of His own to fall? And so Luke is, ha, has several things in view here. And he's communicating that evil and treachery didn't catch the Lord or God by surprise. In a world, a fallen world of sinful men, God, as we know from Romans 8.28, can still bring about His purposes from others' evil intention. God can use everything in this world, even things evil, to accomplish good purposes in His time and in His way. And He uses the story of Judas as an example. So, in abbreviation, this text teaches us about the replacement of an apostle. It's a cautionary warning, and it tells us about God's ability to use all things to His ends. The story of Judas is an interesting one in the Word of God. And we might think that it begins in the pages of the New Testament, uh, perhaps in the book of Matthew, where he is described in the book of John in some detail. But that's not the case. 
The story of Judas actually begins in the Old Testament. In something known as the imprecatory Psalms, um, written, you know, recorded in the book of Psalms. Now, the word imprecatory is a weird word, it's an old word, but it means this. In the Old Testament, we know that David was, of course, king. He was a man for God's own heart. But the Old Testament presents David also as a type of Christ. Um, he's presented to us as uh, a type of Christ. And so the Bible uses some of his sufferings to help us understand the heart uh, and the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are a number of imprecatory Psalms. They number maybe in the 20s, almost 30 of them. But there are a couple of them that you can really see this played out. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalms chapter 22 with me. We're going to turn to a couple of scriptures today. But I want us to see one of these imprecatory Psalms where the suffering of David um, is used as a description of the coming suffering of Christ. Um, David here is going through some suffering, and of course, this would, uh, the graphic detail would go beyond his own personal suffering. But you get the nature of what I'm communicating in verse number one of Psalm 22. And it's written, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, have we heard that somewhere else? Now, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Why art, why art thou so far from helping me in the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art, art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. This is how Christ felt. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip and they shake their heads saying, this is Christ on the cross. He trusts in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. This is what the Roman soldiers said to him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, that didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from my womb. Thou art my God of my mother's belly. Verse 12, many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have set me around. These little Romans. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones were out of joint. This is a description of Jesus on the cross. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And that has brought me to the dust and death. And the description goes on. You, you see the imprecatory nature of the psalm, do you not? Well, if we turn from there to Psalms 109 very quickly, we also will discover something else in these Psalms. And this is fascinating. Not only do we see here a picture of Christ, but we find the personality of Judas. And this is the this is Another psalm, but we begin to see a description of Judas. And let's begin reading in verse 1 of Psalms 109, another imprecatory psalm. Hold up thy peace, O God, of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. Again, this is David's suffering, but it's a type of what Christ went through. Verse 2, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. 
I'm sorry, verse 3 now. They compass me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. For my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. And of course, this is what happened to Christ. Now, specifically, verse 6. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few. Now, this verse is the specific thing referenced in the book of Acts. And let another take his office, his place of bishop. What was he described here as an evil man that feigned love for the Lord, turned on him, who vacated his office in deceit, and the Lord is the pronouncing judgment here upon him in Psalms 109. And this, this, this judgment goes on in vast description, part of it in verse 9. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife be a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds, and beg, and let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let the stranger spoil his labor. This is a, this is a very graphic and again emotive description of judgment upon the one who betrayed the Christ. One who feigned love but betrayed him in treachery. This is the text referred to in Acts chapter 1 verse 20. Here the psalmist is describing the future person actually the judgment of Judas Iscariot, who is being presented um, as a man who betrayed the Lord. I'm not going to turn it for the sake of time, but we see this also spelled even in greater detail in Psalms 55, where it describes Judas as a man who was close to the Lord, who was a friend of him, but turned against him in treachery. This is where the life of Judas Iscariot begins. And this is something Luke's trying to communicate. This does not catch God by surprise. The acts that happened with Judas are prophetic. All these things are in God's control. This did not catch Jesus by surprise. It was part of his plan of redemption. But the story of Judas continues. In the book of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, Jesus, I'm sorry, Judas is again presented to us, this time a different kind of story. He's not yet betrayed the Lord. But he's been entrusted with the treasury. He holds the bag. He holds the purse. He holds the money that people gave to to support the ministry of the Lord. And one day in the house of Mary and Martha, Mary comes to the Lord with this incredibly expensive perfume. We know it's about a year's worth of wages. And she falls at the Lord's feet and she pours this upon him in this beautiful act of devotion and love. It's a beautiful scene of worship, and the only man who speaks out against it is Judas. And the Bible tells us that he feigns indignation. Oh, what a waste. And now he feigns self-righteousness. All this money could have been used and given to the poor, is what he says. But the reality is, the Word of God tells us, he was the keeper of the treasury, and he was also a thief. And if that money would have been given, that would have enriched uh, Judas's pocket. And of course the Lord knew that in John chapter 12, way before his betrayal in Matthew chapters 26 and 27. It uh, tells us of his character. Of course the great indignation occurs in Matthew chapter 26 verses 14 through 16. Judas, not happy with the thievery from the purse, is greedy for more. 
And he works out a deal with the Pharisees to, to betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And that's proverbial, isn't it? You know, what would a man do for 30 pieces of silver? And that plan is worked out in fulfillment in Matthew 26, verses 47 through 49, where Judas leads the Roman soldiers to Jesus and betrays him with a kiss. An incredible act of treachery. As Acts tells the story, here's a man who was one of us. He, ministered, he had part and share of our ministry. It means he, he, we, we labored side by side, like the people did yesterday, all day, for two days straight, labored together. He, he was part of that. And one of my brothers betrayed me with a kiss. That's what's described. He betrayed the Lord, he betrayed us for greed, for some perceived gain. And I'm, I'm, I'm moving quickly now to the cautionary tale. We've got to be careful what we give in exchange for the Lord and being devoted to Him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says this, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money... And you can substitute a lot of other things besides money there for attention, for position, um, for recognition, for ease and comfort, have coveted after, have erred from the face, faith. And this already happened to Judas and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This was the literal end of Judas, described for us in Matthew chapter 27. The story goes like this Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. He had walked these men um, for some time, three years, three and a half years. He watches these Romans take him. I don't know what level he saw the Lord's abuse. Um, he's a human, and his guilt gets a hold of him. And I don't have any indication that Judas was a saved man at this point, but he's a human. And his guilt overwhelms him. And um, his mind is spinning. And there's so many lessons here if you're listening. And he goes back to his co-conspirators, the Pharisees. And he says, I want out, no part of this. <laughs> and they said, oh, we can't take your money. Just incredible hypocrisy. I'm going to get ahead of myself here. Sharks eat sharks. There's no honor among thieves. And you need to remember that when you're unfaithful to each other and to the Lord. Every, you say bad about somebody else, I promise you that group of people who had listened to that garbage can't be trusted with what you said. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But you, it's there. We don't want any part of it. Judas cast it on the floor. Overwhelmed by his grief, he runs to a tree and he hangs himself. It's graphic and gruesome. He falls. He bursts asunder upon the rocks, probably on a cliff. And it's a description that's very graphic of judgment. He goes to his own place. The Pharisees collect the money off the floor. Blood money. Can't use this in hypocrisy. They go by a field. 
And that field becomes known as the field of blood in Aramaic. And it's, a, it's now identified with the act of Judas and his betrayal. And it's proverbial. It's, it's cautionary for those who would listen. It's what is described for us in the book of Acts chapter 1 and Matthew chapters 26 and 27. And there's something here that we need to learn from. I, as I look at the text, and I want you to take your Bibles and be in Acts 1 with me, if you would, just for a few moments. There's some thoughts here that I want us to consider. And Judas serves as a negative anti-type example. And the first thought is this. And taking my thought from verse number 16, the latter part, where it says, concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. You and I need to be careful as the followers of Christ, what kind of guide we are to other people. You with me? In the text, Judas was literal guide, physically guided the Romans to the place where Christ was and betrayed him with a kiss. The idea of the text is he was leading men to evil outcome, to evil doings, to the unholy. He led others down a path to perdition, which he himself would fall into one day. Though all of us may be too humble to acknowledge this, every single one of us are guide to someone. No man is an island to himself. Everyone has a sphere and exerts some kind of influence. Family, co-workers, someone at school, in this church, everyone here is a guide. And you can either be a blind guide or you can be an intentional guide. You can either guide people to good outcomes or you can guide people to negative outcomes. But everyone is a guide. We're a guide by what we do and we are a guide by what we forfeit to do. And I, I don't want us to be deceived. There are eyes upon us. There are eyes upon us now. That there are people who are watching. Are you guiding me to sing? Are you, are you involved? Are you part of the service or are you not? By what you're doing, are you giving permission to do the same? Or are you telling me that I should be doing something different? Everyone here is guide. No one can abdicate that position as a person and especially as someone who is supposed to be salt and light. You are leading people somewhere. The lesson here is sometimes you can lead people to a place and they can go further than you intended them to go on the path that you led them. Judas is thinking, hey, I'm just going to turn him over to these civil authorities. You know, maybe they'll chastise him and I'll go on my way. But instead, they abuse the Lord. They beat the Lord. They crucify the Lord. Now, I don't know what Judas thought might happen, but based on what he did, I'm assuming he's thinking, I did not intend all that. What if others you influence and lead go further than you did? 
the applications here are so replete. Yeah, I don't know where to start. I, I, I'll use some, the obvious ones that you know, us Baptist preachers use. Okay. What if by your, your okay, you adopt the attitude of social drinking, whatever. Okay. I'm picking on an easy hobby horse. Well, you know, whatever. You, you make your arguments. I don't care. And so you grant approval in a group or crowd. What if others take that further than you do? Well, that's their problem. Okay. You, be, it's going to be really hard to wash your blood, your hands like Pilate. Well, I, I didn't intend for them to go this far. I, I didn't intend for that to become a problem. I didn't intend for him to leave his family. I didn't intend to have a negative outcome on his wife. I didn't intend for that to be a negative impact on his children. Now, no one intends that. Neither do the billboards necessarily who advertise it. And, and that's not my sermon. I, I'm picking on an easy target. But you understand the point, right? Well, I, I started this gossiping, and I didn't mean to, to, to create this fan of firestorm and, and this huge thing that it became. I was just passing on some information and it blew up into this great congregation. You got to be careful where you're leading people. Just a little spark can beget a great fire if you're not careful in the lives of other people. And by the way, you can get caught up in the old fire yourself. Things will take you further than you intended to go sometime. I could preach the rest of my time there, but be time uh, won't let me. Number two, and I say this as pastor to this church family, avoid betrayal of those who are close to you, verse 17. The point is made, he was one of us. He's from among us. He labored. He had part in the ministry. The word there implies ministry. He labored with us. It's implying a hurt from a close person. Numbered with us, taking part in the ministry. Jesus was a friend, at least considered that. He was an associate. He spent three years with these people. The Lord had loved him. He had invested in him. He had a band of brothers that he lived and worked with. He shared in their life and death. Judah's actions present to us a great act of betrayal, especially as it relates to being close to someone. The opposite of betrayal is, is, is being trustworthy of being honest, having integrity, not hurting those close to us. I want to say to you as members of Eastland Baptist Church, we might have our differences. We may see them from a different place, but that does never grant you permission to be unkind to one another. You, God forbid that you walk out here and you talk bad about me or you talk bad about some other pastor here or you talk bad about your Sunday school teacher or this or that. Hey, if you have a problem, go to that person. You address it, but you don't betray the band of brothers. If there's a problem, you address it to the proper source, but you protect the cause of Christ. It's not yours to do that with. There's too much vested here. 50 plus years of history, blood, sweat and tears that not all of you gave that allow you to enjoy this service today, no right to destroy it. No right to belittle it. Say nothing instead of something negative. There's a right way to address a real problem. But we, we do this in so many other ways. 
I made a promise to Terry. I made a promise to my kids. I love them. And we could be at odds. But God help me not to betray that closeness with ugliness, my anger, temper, a lack of love, unkind words. We're human. I get it. But it's still betrayal. If moved past on and forgiven and apologized for in the moment, it can be betrayal. I said I loved you. I said I'd cherish you. I said I would take care of you. Okay, there's no limits to that promise. Not even for disagreements and fights. I understand that we're human. It's going to happen. But be careful. We, we, we don't betray a confidence. Don't break a promise. Swear to your own hurt, Joshua 9 and 10. Don't backbite. Don't gossip. Those are actions of betrayal. We have all heard the phrase, stabbed in the back. And who here hasn't been? And who hasn't done it? It's hurtful. And we've all known the hurt, but we should never be the agency of it. It's a cautionary tale. Not in your home, not in the church, and not as a Christian. And finally, verse 18. I, I think this is the most pointedly thing said as a warning. <laughs> to the best we can, avoid making bad purchases. Now, we've all done that, haven't we? You know? In a tangible way, we've all made bad purchases. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have bought that. There is an incredible phrase in the text. Man, I've thought about this. Verse 18. He purchased a field with the reward of his iniquity. He got what he wanted in a bad way. You, you with me on this? Amen. I won the fight. With harsh words. Well, good for you. You just purchased the field with iniquity. Well, I, I, you know, I, I got that guy. I got my reward. Everybody's looking at me like I'm the big guy. Welcome to the field purchased with iniquity. I got the big job. I got the huge promotion. I have all the money in the world. And what's laying slain behind you in the field of iniquity? There are better ways to make purchases, and there's good ways to make those same purchases. You with me? But there's a bad way to make them too. He got what he wanted, but more than he intended. Judah sought money and what money could buy, but in so doing, he failed to keep what he had loyalty, friendship. Trust. He forfeited something more. Our relationship, our integrity, our love for something less. A piece of ground. 30 pieces of silver. A reward that failed to deliver. You know, you and I make purchases all the time. Some of them good. Some not so. We're always buying fields. 
We're always purchasing a reward. This afternoon, I'm going to spend time with my family. We're going to come to our house. We're going to eat food together. Um, there are going to be little kids everywhere. We're going to spend time together. You know what we're really doing? We are buying a field. It's a good field. You and I invest together in God's work. We're purchasing a field. We serve in ministry. There's a reward, joy, satisfaction. I think, I think of you know, Andrew and his team. What a reward they received yesterday. And all those who helped, there was a reward and there's one to come. They're, they're purchasing a field. There's other kinds of field purchased that are, per, that are purchased as well. We need to realize we are also purchasing something when we forfeit these things. And the question I have is what you are doing worth the field you are purchasing? And what it might bring. Here's this great piece of ground. Here's the boat I always wanted. Here's the, the dream life. <laughs> if you didn't get it the right way, be careful. You may just be burst asunder in the midst of it. There's this story in the Old Testament. God, I just, it's just, it's, it's a life principle. The Jews became a nation. They're following God. The Lord intended a theocracy. I want you to be a people who follows me. But they cried out, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king, like the nations around us. You're not supposed to be like the nations around us. Give us a king. Samuel heartbroken says, Lord, I'm so sorry, these people. No, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. Go and warn them if they want a king, what they're going to get. They purchase this field. What's going to come with the field? You've got to get a king. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your land. You know, you're going to get what you wanted. But now everybody look up here. They are going to get what they wanted, but lose what they had. And sometimes we get what we want in a purchase and everything we hope for. And sometimes we purchase a field of iniquity. And we get what we wanted and we lose what we had. An act of indiscretion, a fight gone too far, a backbiting tongue. We don't protect each other. You get what you wanted. But be careful, you may forfeit what you had. It's a cautionary tale that we all need to pay attention to. Today, this week, everyone here is influencing someone. You're a guide. And we're all going to make purchases with what we do. With these, with this, and with this. Make sure you're buying the field that you want to keep. Let's be intentional and thoughtful. A cautionary tale to pay attention to. Let me ask you to stand.